Welcome to Distrust and Disparities, Dismantling Black Health Disparities podcast. We examine health disparities that disproportionately affect Black women and Black families. In addition, we amplify organizations and individuals working to dismantle racist health practices and systems to improve health outcomes for marginalized communities. I'm your host, Jasmine Moore, a registered nurse, and I'm joined by my good friend and co-host, Camille White. Too often, Black women are expected to rescue the world from its own ugliness to save our communities, our elections, our churches, our institutions, our men. We don't want to be bridges trampled on daily so that folks can be guided across deep waters without ever getting wet. We want to be human, whole, complicated, rested, and well. We discuss suicide, mental health crises, and other triggering topics in this episode. Listener discretion is advised. In this episode, we shed light on the detrimental effects oppressive work environments can have on Black women. We discuss the death of Dr. Antoinette Bonnie Candia Bailey, a Black woman who dealt with harassment and bullying from her white male boss in higher education. And we highlight the organization No More Martyrs, a mental health awareness campaign committed to building a community of support for Black women with mental health concerns. Happy Black History Month, listeners. In this month, we have 29 days instead of the standard 28 days, but we are Black 365 days on this podcast, and we continue to celebrate and educate ourselves with each episode. I just want to remind you guys, the purpose of Black History Month is to celebrate, educate, and ignite. And we want to continue the tradition of reminding Black folks, especially Black women, that we need to make rest a priority. Last year, we discussed the book Rest is Resistance by Trisha Hersey of the Nat Ministry. In the book, she um, describes it as a spiritual antidote to the very earthly problems that are plaguing our communities, exhaustion, chronic diseases, and mental health crises, issues that she sees as arising from systems of capitalism and white supremacy. She reminds us that rest is a form of resistance because it disrupts and it pushes back against these two systems. And each of us is out here doing the work to stay sane in this racist and capitalistic society. And it's a society where our leaders are prioritizing profits over people. And we have to take care of ourselves in this fight. We do. Like, no matter what you do, we are all, you know, fighting something. So this week, we just want to talk about some of the recent news stories surrounding Black women in various work environments. And we have been having this conversation amongst ourselves, but we wanted to bring it here to the podcast just to discuss what's going on and also to provide you guys with some resources. The first story that came to mind for me 
or one of them was um, Taraji P. Henson and her interview. So in the promo for The Color Purple, Taraji, she did an interview with Gail King, where she broke down crying, discussing the uphill fight to be paid what she is worth. And I'll just read a quote from her. She says, I'm just tired of working so hard, being gracious at what I do, getting paid a fraction of the cost. I'm tired of hearing my sister say the same thing over and over. You get tired. I hear people go, you work a lot. I have to. The math ain't mathing. And when you start working a lot, you have a team. Big bills come with what we do. We don't do this alone. It's a whole entire team behind us. They have to get paid. And she literally is like crying in this interview. And the questions stem from because... There's talk talks that she's thinking about quitting acting. And she was just discussing just the amount of work that she's done. She's been a nominated for both Oscar, both an Oscar and an Emmy for her performance. And in those same movies, I believe um going back to like Benjamin Button, like people like Brad Pitt and the other mega mega co-stars in those films were paid millions while she's being paid significantly less. And she's saying at each role, she has to fight to prove her worth to get paid what she deserves. It's just, it's also frustrating too, because the amount of people who felt the need to then come out and make fun of her as though like, Mm -hmm. Oh, look at Taraji complain about making millions. When, if you put it into context of the career field she's in And where she has gotten to with the nominations and accolades she has gotten, the check that she should be receiving should be a lot higher. And in understanding, Mm -hmm. too, that like white men already make so much. The the white men that people think of that star and like damn near everything out there always got a role on deck make so many more millions than the white women that also then Mm co-star with them and make so many millions. And then from there, you have to go down to, you know, the black men and then you have to go down to the black women. And it's a frustrating thing of like, you're taking it as like, oh, boo hoo and a woo. She's crying, but she's a millionaire. And in understanding that, like she's explaining, like she's not getting all this money for herself and just like walking away and not having to worry about anything. She has teams of people. She has employees, she has agents. She has she has a team, as she says, and it's a large team to keep her going, to keep her getting roles. And she's fighting to make sure that, like, not only she gets paid, but the cut that everybody else needs can also be paid. Because I'm sure y'all would like to dog her out if it was like, oh, she's not paying a good wage to an assistant of her, someone else on her team, where it's just like exactly. she needs to be making a good amount of money to then be able to provide a living wage to anyone that she employs to make sure that she can keep going. And it's frustrating Mm -hmm. when like, this is the capitalist society we live in and y'all will dog out women, black women, Mm -hmm. especially constantly for stuff where it's just like, but if a white man said this, I feel like a lot of people wouldn't have responded in the way they responded. Be like, Oh, she's crying over so much money that she gets. We're just like, y'all don't be talking about this, about, you know, the athletes that be making all the money, all the money. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Y'all like the way that y'all can excuse money for certain people like, oh, yeah, they deserve it. They they are so athletic. 
They know how to run and catch a ball so well, like they deserve all that. But then someone else pointing out a really big issue, especially in gender pay dis- disparities. Mm-hmm. And y'all think it's funny. It's exactly. like, this is why we don't get anywhere. This is why we're, we're mm-hmm. stuck in a situation of when you're comparing, you know, what black women make to other counterparts, say doing the same job, it is, it's pennies on the dollar. It's not the same amount. A, a dollar for a white man is worth so much less for a black woman in this country. Yeah, I think they quantified it. And it's like for every dollar a white man makes, I think it's like 58 cents that like a black woman makes and it might be less. And I was also going to say, you bring up a good point. This is just not isolated to the acting field. This is across the board. Pay discrepancies between men and women, especially black women, are horrible. Like the gap is probably widening. And Mm -hmm. it's like at all levels, like from the top on down. And then you find like most women are in roles of like service and different things, especially like black women. And it's, it's ridiculous. So instead of making a joke, we need to look at our own areas and see we're probably not being paid our worth and things like that. And do you have the courage to speak up and demand what you're owed? No. And, you know, she's taking a chance to step out on the ledge to speak out. Because so many times, like you said, especially for black women, you'll be labeled as difficult, hard to work Mm -hmm. with and Mm -hmm. things like that. And, you know, it continues like we see this happen all the time. People speak up about what's going on and then, you know, they create like all this fake drama around it. And then they kind of like blackball people out of like certain industries, out of certain positions. They call them difficult, you know. Difficult to work with. It's just uh, ridiculous. Mm. And then we can talk about the resignation of Claudine Gay, who was the president of Harvard University. Yeah. And Claudine Gay was the first person of color and second woman in that position at Harvard University, which has been around for 386 years. Just Crazy. Do that now. <laughs> a long time for the Crazy. second, well, second woman and the first person of color. Crazy. Harvard been white, 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 There were bogus allegations of plagiarism, as well as a huge conservative campaign designed to eliminate what it calls the bureaucracy of diversity, equity, inclusion, DEI, which we saw with the Supreme Court decision about affirmative action. Like they have been coming for it and it's working. They are mm-hmm. able to maneuver and find ways and they are killing these programs because these positions are disappearing in a lot of, you know, companies, spaces that claim that they were all about diversity, right. equity, and inclusion, like they're, they're drying up. And mm-hmm. conservative figures who called for um, Claudine's downfall, including conservative anti-DEI advocate Christopher Rufo, 
who publicized allegations of plagiarism and anti-Semitism against Gay, celebrated her resignation as a win against DEI. Mm-hmm. And quote, in a social media post wrote, this is the beginning of the end for DEI and America's institutions. We will expose you. We will outmaneuver you. And we will not stop fighting until we have restored colorblind equality in our great nation. Mm. Mm. And it's just all the lies and BS of like colorblind equality. <laughs> Get out of here with that. That is a colorblind and equality. How do those go together? How? This is just classic white backlash. Yes. You take two steps forward and, you know, they're like, no, this is too much. We got to go back. Like, just tearing down all this stuff that's in place for Mm -hmm. colorblind equality. What what did colorblind equality look like? (laughs) Was that segregation? That's what that was. And the Negroes in their place and their in their crappy little schools. That's what that was. And their sectioned off housing, you know, unable. I mean, people are already struggling alone to get um, you know, mortgage loans, black people. Like there's just so much to that, which is just like it's outright nonsense and racist and terrible. And even like the allegations of plagiarism, which is like even frustrating, of your it was all about her the way she cited in her, I think, thesis paper or whatever to get her her doctor, one of her degrees. And it was like, y'all are bringing up citation sort of rules that were made years, years after she had written her thesis and done everything. And it was just the nonsense of, you can't apply rules that came well after she got her degree to what she did. And it it wasn't, she She didn't plagiarize anything. It was just your reasoning and excuse that you were able to run with and other racist people happily followed because they were like, we need to remove this black woman. Mm-hmm. We don't like her. We need to remove her. And it shows like the environment that she is working with. Like, you know, you got people, they say they're, you know, we support you, but what are you doing? Are you counteracting these narratives that are coming out? Like, what are you doing? And, you know, you just let them bring up this false narrative, these false claims. It's just like, just reading it is draining. Like, I just want to cuss, cuss them out. Like, are yes. you thinking serious? Like, yes. she has, like, she managed, like, the largest um, sector at Harvard University. She has the experience. She's overqualified, probably, for the position. And y'all want to come at this nonsense? Like, seriously. Like... <sighs> And this quote just goes to prove this was not about any anti-Semitic stuff. This is just, like you said, it's a attack on diversity and inclusion. This is like their agenda for this new modern Jim Crow shit mm-hmm. that they want to do. That's it. Speaking of like black history, like y'all, America does not want to acknowledge its history. White people don't want to acknowledge their history. Of that it's full of trauma and um, killing people. Like, this is the legacy. Y'all don't want to acknowledge this. Like, <laughs> it's, it's crazy. Like, it, it's, and it's just, history is repeating itself. You know, that's why we have this podcast to talk about these things. Because it's the same thing. Like, mm. they playing in our faces. 
<laughs> they are. They really are. It, it, I, girl had the the biggest headache researching this episode. I was just like, oh, I got to I got to put it away. <laughs> the biggest the biggest headache. And keep this in there because people got to know. Yes, <laughs> we are yes. working hard to concisely put this information because we could go on and on like this is not even the main story we haven't even gotten to the main story (laughs) but all these events happening at the same time it was just like oh my gosh I was like we have to talk about this here because this is like frustrating this is like they said this is like an attack and it's like something needs to be done we need to call this out we we need to bring bring attention and even if you know we can't like do something major. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about how we can, what we can do for ourselves. Cause I know just like reading this information, like I just wanted to like scream or, you know, I'm just like frustrated, but I'm just like, you know, I got to figure out what to do. I mean, part of the process, the healing process is coming on here, talking with you and, you mm-hmm. know, presenting this information. So, you know, this needs to be this needs to get out. People need to hear what's going on. They need to hear the truth because a lot of it is going on. Have you checked out our website? There you can find all of our episodes and show notes. You can even listen directly on the site and catch up on any previous episode you may have missed. You can read our bios and see what we're up to. Also, we made it even easier to contact us. Just fill out the form on our homepage and click submit. We invite you to recommend guests and topics we should feature. So what are you waiting for? Go check us out at distrustanddisparities.com. For our main story, we want to discuss the death of Antoinette Bonnie Candia Bailey. And before we get into the events leading up to her death, we want to honor her life and accomplishments. And we're going to give you some background information about her. Dr. Antoinette Candia Bailey was an academic administrator from Chicago, Illinois. In 1998, she graduated from Lincoln University, which is an historically black university, HBCU, in Jefferson City, Missouri. And she graduated with a Bachelor's of Science in Sociology. While there, she became a member of the Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated, AKAs for short. And her friends said she was a loving and generous person who radiated positivity. And her aunt, LaDonna Candia Flanagan, she said, this is how she described her, She was born with an extroverted spirit. She never met a stranger and was admired for her kind and compassionate nature. Dr. Bonnie's confidence, unique style, and her ability to challenge the thoughts of others set her apart as a true leader. She later earned her Master's of Arts in Rehabilitation, Counseling, Disability Studies from Michigan State University in 2001. In 2016, she completed a PhD in Leadership Studies from North Carolina A&T State University. In 2012, 
Dr. Antoinette married Anthony Bailey, and they have two stepdaughters. Her work experience included, um, she was the vice president of students affairs at Elms College in Massachusetts. She also served as chief diversity officer and Title IX coordinator at Elms. Dr. Candia Bailey also served as associate dean of students and senior project coordinator at the University of Wisconsin at Towson University. She was the assistant vice president of student affairs, housing, and residential life. And additionally, she was also the director of academic excellence at North Carolina A&T State University and the assistant director of university housing at North Carolina State University. So she has a lot of job experience and she also worked at several, like three different HBCUs. And on May 1st, 2023, she returned to her alma mater, Lincoln University. And there she was hired to be the vice president of students affairs up until her untimely death. And in her hiring announcement, they described her as having an extensive experience in advocating for social justice and change. She is passionate about examining self-esteem and identity development, particularly in African-American women, and enhancing DIE efforts. And she is quoted as saying, I believe diversity work is like a puzzle. I strive to help individuals find their pieces in the puzzle. Prior to her death, Dr. Antoinette has submitted complaints to HR and to the Board of Curators about the president of Lincoln University, John B. Mosley. Emails show that Dr. Antoinette sent messages to the president, Mosley, and the board of curators requesting family and medical leave, FMLA, and accommodations in line with the Americans with Disability Act, ADA. Looking at the emails, it says, after submitting the request for FMLA and disability requests, um, she is quoted as saying, the relationship between Dr. Antoinette and the president Mosley it all went downhill. And she says, the documents were submitted due to my severe depression and anxiety. And she also wrote, I requested to be removed from under your leadership as this was causing significant attacks. Additional emails reveal when she made complaints about how she was treated to the board of curators, the president of the board wrote a response back to her saying, Please be advised, the Board of Curators does not engage in the management of personnel issues for Lincoln University and will not be taking further action related to this issue. Like, what's the point of having a board? Like, Yeah, that response, too, is so dismissive. And what what is their purpose, if not then to... Okay, you could be like, I don't handle that, 
But given the severity of what she is asking about and claiming is happening to her, you then go, but hey, we've circled in this person who is head of HR or whatever that does handle this and not go, mm-hmm. we will not be taking further action. What, like, so literally you didn't take initial action and the only action you took was responding to this email going, we ain't doing nothing. That ain't none of our business. Exactly. And you see, she's following the chain of command. She went to her HR. She went directly to the president to address her concerns and complaints. And then she also went to the board. And from my research, I just want to point out, it says that Missouri's governor appoints Lincoln University's board of curators who selects and monitors the university president. And it says under this setup, Mosley reports to the board only. And who else was she supposed to contact to help get, you know, a resolution with issues in regards to the president? Like, this is their job. Like, this is what you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And I just want to point out, she basically had no support and she felt isolated. And one of her friends, she stated in an interview Um, When she was describing Antoinette, she said she's always smiled and was always positive. But soon after she took the position of vice president in May of 2023, her friends noticed a change in her. This is a quote from her friend. She says, I was literally just with her at homecoming and she was just like, I'm just trying to make it through. And she says her whole demeanor had changed. Yes, she was still smiling, but you could tell that something was off. Something was different. And can you imagine, like, you have over 20 years of experience and then you get a vice president job at your alma mater at an HBCU that you graduated, how excited you probably are to work there. And then come to find out is a toxic environment. And, you know, this is an HBCU. You think I'm working in, you know, uh, a black school with black peers, but you find you just don't have the support. And it's just like, an uphill battle. I can just imagine like how she felt and, you know, you just try to keep pushing through and, you know, hoping things will get better, but it's just, it's just sad. It is. And she also reached out for help through the right channels to be like, Hey, Mm -hmm. I need leave. I I need to no longer be working under him because it was basically going, Hey, there's a problem. And can y'all, Give me some time to take my space, go home and recharge, do what she needs to do to sort of come back and then like come back in a different role, not under him. Because it was Mm -hmm. like, I want to continue to work and for the school, but just like not under him, move me somewhere else. And they were just like, nah, we're not going to do that. We're not even going to do anything, basically. Mm. So on January 3rd, she received a termination letter. And the letter stated that she was terminated for causes including allegations of insubordination and allowing an ineligible student to work, allowing ineligible students to obtain a discounted housing rate, and failing to adhere to confidentiality requirements in a grievance matter filed by two of her subordinates. And also the letter said, due to your continued failure to appropriately supervise your staff and continued failure to properly supervise 
the area of student affairs in Lincoln University. And she received that termination letter on January 3rd. And then on January 8th, 2024, Dr. Antoinette died by suicide. And hours before her death, Dr. Antoinette sent a 10-page letter addressed to the president of Lincoln University, so Mosley, and her message was also sent to family, friends, and Lincoln alumni. And the letter begins with, quote, Lincoln, where it all started and where it all ends. And in this letter that she sent through email, she called out President Mosley for multiple actions that she said exacerbated her existing mental health condition and wrote, quote, that Mosley was causing enough harm and mental damage. And she included accusations of micromanagement, failure to provide clear directions, inconsistency and arrogance. And she said she had experienced months of harassment, bullying and differential treatment from her white colleagues while working under Mosley and his administrative leadership. And she also outlined several occasions when she talked about her mental health struggles with Mosley and asked for help, only to be rebuffed. Dr. Antoinette confirmed that she felt, quote, unsupported, disregarded, and abused after countless attempts to speak out on the bullying and harassment she experienced in her role from President Mosley. And she said after disclosing her mental health to the university, she faced stigmatized bullying from the president and other leadership officials. And the letter also addresses her firing where she admits two mistakes and detailing the time she tried to work within the university's processes and seek ways to improve. She also wrote that she was intentionally harassed and bullied and that after receiving a poor evaluation, when she asked for help, Mosley ignored requests, like, you know, just failing to respond to her emails or when they were face-to-face, he would just dance around the topic. Mm. Her email also stated, you know, that poor evaluation she received, it was a 36 out of 100 on her, like, performance review, and that was in November 2023. And this was despite regularly working after hours and not receiving examples of why her marks were so low. Like, if you give someone a 36 out of 100 that that evaluation should clearly like lay out what was going wrong and also she should have been well aware of like such a dissatisfactory performance all along you shouldn't Mm -hmm. be telling someone at the at the tail end at the time of performance evaluation like actually you're doing a terrible job like you should be working with and communicating with people all along to be like hey, I noticed this is an issue here. Hey, this is... And she was clearly actively seeking him out, trying to talk to him, trying to improve, trying to understand what was going on and just kept being ignored. Mm -hmm. It it all seems like a setup, you know? It it doesn't make sense. Like, y'all hired... When you hired this woman, you were excited to have her, knew about her experience, and then now all of a sudden her evaluation is like below satisfactory. It doesn't make sense. And usually when you start a new job, you're on like a probationary period. So you check in within six months. You know, where's the evidence? You know, where was 
she even pointed out, you didn't give me like actionable steps to take to improve my performance. Like what is going on? And when I try to talk to you about it, you know, you don't have nothing to say. You won't respond. You're, you're ignoring my emails. You can't talk face to face. Like, yeah, like you said, they were setting her up for failure because she points out in the letter that like she was never made aware of any of these so-called concerns that they had in her performance until November 2023. And she was never given any sort of action plan to address the concerns afterward. Because like, again, if you're going to say, hey, these are all the things you're doing wrong. Okay, you waited until that very moment to do it. If you're in a way concerned about making sure you're running a good, you know, a organization, you then go, so here's how we improve. These are the things mm-hmm. we would like to see. This is how, but they, like you said, it was a setup because they didn't want to see her improve. They just wanted to say, you're a terrible employee. And then, you know, the following year, early in January, they're just like, you can go now. We don't, we no longer want you here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were probably looking for incidents and the, you know, these are probably like small incidents that can be corrected and, you know, incidents that shouldn't lead to a firing, but it looked like, oh, we'll get her on this. And she wrote in her letter, she says, you intentionally harassed and bullied me and got the satisfaction from sitting back to determine how you would ensure I failed as an employee and proud alumni. This is so sad. And she also wrote, quote, I cried my last tear this morning. I've had dark days, but I've never been this dark in my 25 years in the field. Student affairs was my love and my love killed me. Mm. And she like, well before this was desperately trying to get help. She was sharing like, Hey, I I have some mental health issues and, you know, let's discuss probably alternate ways of, you know, going about communicating, like how I can improve. And then like that wasn't working. So it's like, okay, y'all not listening to that. Can y'all just give me some leave time? I need to go and, and take a break, not be here and I can come back better. And then that was also dismissed where it's just like, she was crying out so many times and they just kept going, nah, nah, we don't care. We don't care. And then finally it was just like, we'll just get rid of you. We'll just be done with you. Mm-hmm. And and like she said, this was her love. Student affairs was her love. She's been doing this work for so long and she wanted to continue to do that work. She just needed a moment to be able to step back and, and probably try to heal as best she could and and come back better. And like, they just wouldn't allow for that. Yeah. And it seems like a very intentional setup to get her to like, basically quit the job. Like you're making it so hard, so hard that you want her to quit, but she's like, I don't want to quit. You know, I need a Mm -hmm. break and, you know, let me go on medical leave. And, you know, if she has a a mental health diagnosis, whether it's depression or anxiety, under um disability disability law she's allowed to take these leave and you're just making it hard for her you know mm. prob- i believe probably with you know some time off to think to sit back she probably would have just walked away from this job or yeah. or or we don't know but i can imagine like 
this is probably like your dream job. Like I'm back at my alma mater. I'm here. I can make a difference because she works directly with students mm-hmm. and, you know, supporting them, helping, you know, the next generation go through college and get to where they need to do. And then, you know, you love working with the students, but then you have a boss who's like tearing you down, not supporting you, just making everything hard for you. Like, uh, mm. On January 12th, President Mosley, he took a voluntary paid leave. So they let him take a leave after this, after all this outrage and backlash. He's allowed a leave. Mm-hmm. So he can go, you know, go home and think about things and, and figure it out. Yeah, it's interesting how you allowed him to take a leave. You didn't just tell him, oh, we're not going to take further action on this. And you're just going to push through and deal with it. Exactly. And also the board, they announced on January 12th that they hired a third party experts to review the potential personal issues and concerns recently raised regarding compliance with the university's established policies and procedures. And on January 18th, they just basically talked about they hired a specific law firm um, that reviews higher education practices. And we just want to talk about a little bit about the president of the university. Like, who is John Mosley? And the biggest thing that stands out to me, Mosley, he's a white male and he served as Lincoln University president starting in May 2021. And it's like, okay, okay, a white president at an HBCU. Interesting. Interesting. Very. But not only that, how he got to the president role. So his experience, mostly he was Lincoln University's um, head basketball coach. And he then became the director of athletics in 2015. But in 2021, he started acting as the interim president for Lincoln University. So that's a big leap. (laughs) (laughs) And just like when we were looking over, this was like, um, how do you go from, you know, being in sports at a university level where, okay, you're a head basketball coach there. You had a previous assistant head basketball coach job at another school. Then you ended up being a director of athletics. Okay. Okay. You've, you've risen up in athletics. Mm -hmm. The jump from director of athletics in 2015, where you were there for six years over into, okay. Interim role, I guess they had a little, because uh, that was when the president in 2021 resigned, who was a black woman at the time. She resigned and you were like, we need somebody quick. So I guess y'all were like, Mosley, get in there. We need you. But then y'all were just, and I remember reading the announcement on their website. They said they were going to do a nationwide search. And then all of a sudden, what, the nationwide search came up empty. So you were like, let's make the former director of athletics that president of the whole school because his resume shows that he has enough experience in this particular administrative role of a whole university at such a big level. It was just like, it made no sense. And what was also interesting too, is like 
he ended up getting, I guess it's like PhD in 2020. So that was right before. And maybe he was looking to maneuver into the administrative side because you really wouldn't, I don't think, need particularly a PhD if you're already at the director of athletics role. I don't know. Maybe he was trying to see growth. But like, how are you already president at that point? Like there wasn't like some steps in between. I can understand trying to shake it up, shift around your career a little bit. That's like a monumental leap into a whole other part of the university that you have never truly worked in, really. Right. It just like you said, the math is not mathing. It it wasn't mathing. It was. I remember reading that and thinking, like, what? I, I was. I was looking for more administrative roles prior. To what being president, exactly. it, it just didn't make sense. Yeah, and not everyone can be a leader is qualified to be in charge of a whole university. Like, and no. just going from like this exchange and how it was handled, it it doesn't seem right. You know, if you had more experience, you would be able to deal with these things. But I just don't get it, and. According to some people and even like the alumni, they questioned whether he was qualified for the role of president. And according to a member of the alumni association, it says that the board of curators, they tapped him to lead Lincoln University because he had a strong relationship with lawmakers and officials in Jefferson City. Which is just like, it's all about who you know and your connections where Mm -hmm. they will constantly ask a black woman, are you qualified to be here? But white men galore is just like, who do you know that gave you a handshake and a pat on the back and said, come on, buddy, join us. That's their inclusion stuff that they do. They want to get rid of diversity, equity, inclusion, because it would break up the whole nonsense of just like, you know, somebody who got you in, the who literally Mm -hmm. not only got you in the door, just gave you the job and you aren't truly qualified for it. And other people are then completely ignored and dismissed that would have been better people for that role. Because you, you just happen to know somebody and had good exactly. connections. Exactly. And I think I want to do like a specific episode on that. Like people want to attack like affirmative action, diversity, inclusion. But white people have a lot of stuff in place to give them leg, leg ups in mm-hmm. society and things like that. Like examples like legacy because you went there before and you donate all this money like you get your child in there's a lot of this stuff that they know like they said to outmaneuver so that they can get ahead they they got they got a lot of that going mm-hmm. on but they you know trying to blame it on us oh y'all need a handout y'all need this but y'all are specifically trying to tear tear down stuff to make society equitable like it's it's ridiculous. And after Dr. Antoinette's death, the university students and the alumni, they are calling for President Mosley's resignation. Like they want him to resign and step down. Like he's currently, at the time that we are recording this episode, he's on paid leave. He volunteered to go on paid leave. And even like the alumni, they point out like the entitlement to, you know, choose to go on leave after this incident. And, you know, 
Dr. Antoinette, she sent this letter to close friends, the alumni association. So they've read. And a lot of the people that were interviewed, they said after reading this whole letter and what she wrote, they were like, he should resign. Like, based off what she is saying and the accusations and she provided proof. She, I think she also included like her termination letter, the emails that she also sent Mm -hmm. and you're responsible for this woman's death, you know, yeah, like your behavior, your actions, this led up to her death, feeling hopeless, like, you you will go on voluntary leave, but you couldn't approve her for FMLA. She's bringing you the paperwork saying she needs to take a break and, and you won't. You just want to continue to torture her. It says like after she submitted the paperwork for FMLA, she said that's when, you know, the harassment and bullying, you know, it went up. Like it mm-hmm. increased. Like it got even more toxic. Yeah. <sighs> It's just just disappointing. And it's one of those things where no matter sort of where you are in society, no matter what accomplishments, goals you reach, you know, career paths you take, you, especially the higher you get up to where you think like, oh, I've reached this place and people will acknowledge and recognize all that I have accomplished. And a lot of times it's like, no, you get constant questioning it's just it's a constant battle it's a constant struggle to just exist in a role that you are qualified for that you deserve to be in that you should be able to go to work and be excited about what you're doing and you have people who don't want you there because they are racist don't want you there for a number of other reasons also i'm sure being a woman like being a black woman in this world, in this country, mm-hmm. it'd be so raggedy out here. Just so raggedy. Exactly. Ugh. It's just like, damn, like, ugh. Mm. And I think, like, the board of curators, they, like, release a statement says, we prioritize, you know, people's mental health is a priority or something like that, like some blanketed statement. But it's like, no, you don't. No, Mm-mm. no, you don't. And it's just like, I want to know what they're going to do moving forward because students and alumni, they're demanding accountability. Because can you imagine, like, especially if you had, like, a good relationship because she worked directly with the students mm-hmm. and supporting them, and this is how they treated someone probably that they loved and admired. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I wouldn't want to go to a school like that. You know, it's sad. And this is one of the schools, you know, designed for Black students and has, like, a really rich history. Yeah. And it's sad that this is, you know was going to be attached to it as well. It was like these stories back to back with President Gay, Taraji, and then just, you know, just so much going on, like so much BS. But it's like, as Black women, you know, we, you know, we take on so much. And, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes you're like, where are people to support us? And, you know, we really got to, you know, 
sometimes it's stepping away or, you know, what things do we have that bring us joy, that renew our spirits? Because it's hard out here. And you know what? You know, one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about this episode, I had seen this post from, it's a book that just came out. It's called Black Liturgies by Cole Arthur Raleigh. And the quote goes, too often Black women are expected to rescue the world from its own ugliness to save our communities, our elections, our churches, our institutions, our men. We don't want to be bridges trampled on daily so that folks can be guided across deep waters without ever getting wet. We want to be human, whole, complicated, rested, and well. And I just remember reading that quote and I'm like, damn, this is so true. Like, I need this on a t-shirt. Like, (laughs) I need to, I need a poster. I need to wave it up. Like, this... (laughs) I need this sign, you know. Yes. <laughs> uh, this needs needs to be up. Like, you know, we're tired. Like, yes. Ugh. We are constantly mm. being told, like, you're so resilient. You're so strong. And it's just like, I'm not trying to be strong. Right. It's like, we're strong because we literally have to be. Right. We're not giving nothing else we can be. And people mm. see that as like a compliment. Like, oh, look at you just taking on the world. It's just like, literally, because I have to. Literally. Mm. Literally, like, black women have to. Not because we want to, because we have to. Because the world is not there for us in the way that it should be. Mm-hmm. And we show up for everybody. Yes. Everybody. <laughs> everybody. Everybody. Mm. If you are enjoying this episode, you should consider buying us a coffee. Yes, a coffee. That small gesture will help us continue to create quality episodes and content. Click the Buy Me a Coffee link in the show notes or check out our website at distrustanddisparities.com. It needs to be acknowledged and it needs to be talked about, but then it's, it's also so draining and frustrated and sad and depressing when it's like, yet again, another one of our community members is in pain Mm -hmm. and is no longer here through things that were completely out of their control and were done by people who who don't see us for our humanity, that they don't treat Mm -hmm. us with any sort of dignity. And what happened to her happens so often. And I think people will view it as like a sort of one-off or an anecdote that can be dismissed. But like you said, like things happening back to back to back and those being big news stories and it's, it becomes overwhelming and it's just like, oh, people, please pay attention and please wake up. And also, if you are in these spaces with us and you see this happening and you you have any ounce of courage and also you care at all and you have the space to say something, say something, do something. That whole thing of like, you see something, say something. You see this? Yes. Say something. Speak up. Stop it. Mm. And like, stop putting, you know, black women in these positions to fail, to Mm -hmm. beat them down, critique them. Like, you know, you see they're qualified, but you, you are like going out your way. It's Mm -hmm. just ridiculous. Like I'm, 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 I'm annoyed now. (laughs) I'm transitioned to annoyance. (laughs) 
<laughs> like from grief to annoyance to anger. Yes. But the second part of our show, we highlight an organization that is working to dismantle these practices, working to change the system, you know, working to provide resources for our communities, Black women specifically. And this week, we want to highlight the organization No More Martyrs. And No More Martyrs is a mental health awareness campaign committed to building a community of support for Black women with mental health concerns. And their mission is through our sisterhood, we encourage a culture of self-advocacy and self-care that dispels mental health stigma raises awareness of mental health concerns and increases utilization of mental health services. And their goal is to foster culturally responsive conversations about mental health that offer tools toward recovery and empower Black women to prioritize their holistic wellness. So I was really looking for an organization that, you know, promoted community amongst Black women, like basically safe spaces for Black women. And the organization, it was inspired by the loss of Karen Washington, who was the founder of For Brown Girls, and the number of nameless and faceless Black women who managed their mental health concerns in silence. The No More Martyrs campaign is a call to action. And Karen Washington, unfortunately, um, she passed away due to suicide, but she was also speaking up for Black women and advocating things. And this organization was created to address mental health concerns among Black women and also suicide. And one of the reasons I chose this organization is because they have this initiative called the Sister Speak Initiative. And it says, No More Martyrs launched Sister Speak in an effort to build awareness of the signs of suicide, as well as offer support for women managing their suicidal thoughts. And they have a campaign, and we'll post it to our social media where it talks about having conversations with the people in your lives, the loved ones around suicide. Like if you know somebody um, and they're down, it says, I like on the flyer, it says how to help. And it says basically ask. Don't be afraid to ask the question out loud. Are you thinking about suicide? And it says, listen, allow the person to tell you how they feel, make eye contact and listen. And then be prepared to, you know, if they do share any suicidal actions or thoughts, you know, be prepared to, you know, call the suicide prevention line. So giving you actionable steps because suicide is the 16th leading cause of death for African-Americans of all ages. And the numbers are showing that it's increasing among black children, black women. So it's going up and we, we need to talk about this. Like it's, it's a combination of things that we need to be doing. Like, I feel like we have the information we know um, we should be talking to a therapist or, you know, we should be doing certain things, you know, 
non-commercialized self-care items, free things, journaling, you know, checking in with your friends, making sure you're breathing, eating right, eating properly. You know, there's a variety of things that affect your mental health. We know this stuff. We're learning more information, but stigma still exists. And, you know, we don't want to speak up, but we need to acknowledge people are suffering. People feel hopeless, especially if you think about everything that is going on in this world. Like, it's a lot. It's it's hard out here. And it's even harder when you're Black. Yes. It's it's harder when you are a member of a marginalized community because you're, like you have said before, it's just like, damn. Like, you wake up every day and it's like, it feels like there's something else or the same terrible thing continues to happen and, you know, no one's really doing anything to change it. So this organization is really important in their mission and their goal, especially providing a community to support Black women and and something that is very, very important. They host monthly meetups that offer support and information. And the purpose of the meetings are for women to come together for encouragement and women share their stories in a safe environment. And it helps with learning like tools for recovery and, you know, strategies for living successfully with mental health concerns. I think this is a really great organization. In addition to the support meetups, they also have online resources and webinars. Um, They have a directory of mental health service providers, and they also provide mental health first aid training. And check them out. Ways that you can support No More Martyrs, follow and support them on social media. We'll have the links in our show notes. You can take part in their events. Also, you can donate to their cause to advance mental health for Black women. And additionally, there are opportunities to basically share your own stories and also to become a No More Martyrs ambassador. So check out their website. They have a lot of valuable resources, including like this Sister Speak initiative where it talks about suicide awareness. So we need to know this information and they are really out here looking out for black women and, you know, creating a safe space for them on their website. They said redefining strength, embracing wellness and building community. All this is needed for us in these trying times. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Do you have recommendations for topics we should discuss about health disparities or injustices? Guests we should interview doing amazing health justice work? Or organizations we should highlight creating positive change for marginalized communities? Please visit us at distrustanddisparities.com or email us at distrustanddisparities at gmail.com. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. And follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and LinkedIn. Thank you.